Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventure today takes us to Glendale, Arizona, and what an adventure you guys are in for today. A long and winding path and a a lot of fun. Uh, Kate Girardi is our guest today. She's the Regional Vice President of Marketing and Assistant uh, General Manager with ASM Global. Kate, we've been trying to talk to you for a long time. Great to finally get you on here. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? Good. You're, you're you're a busy woman. Let's let's talk about let's talk about your current role because that that's quite a title. What, what do you actually do? So right now I have a dual role. Um, I oversee marketing for ASM Global um, on the venue level. So, you know, we have 350 plus venues around the world from convention centers, theaters, arenas, and stadiums. And I work with the teams in the field to maximize opportunities for their venues from, you know, helping the sponsorship team get in touch with the right people to find out what opportunities are available at their venues to, you know, helping a venue that, you know, might not have a marketer. You know, there was a lot of transition during the pandemic and afterwards. So filling in holes there, um, as well as, you know, scheduling specialty calls. If a tour is going out, I'll connect with all the marketers that have the tour coming to their venue um, and talk about, hey, how we, how can we maximize opportunities for ticket sales, um, putting together systems and processes for our venues, I take the lead on a lot of our new builds. We just opened up um, Tech Port Center and Arena in San Antonio. So I kind of was the lead there, helping the local team get up and running. I'm getting the PR and the marketing um, situated for that venue and carrying them through the grand opening. And then in my spare time, I'm the assistant general <laughs> manager of our NHL facility here in Glendale, Arizona, Gila River Arena. In your spare time. That's good. Yep. Spare time. <laughs> so how often? So you must be on the road all the time. I am. Um, post-pandemic, I've been on the road quite a lot. Um, you know, ASM Global was created in 2019, you know, with the merger of two companies, um, and then the world shut down. So we hadn't had a lot of interaction with a lot of our venues, a lot of our teams in the field. So now that COVID, you know, it's not over, but has settled and we're, we're back to business, um, I am out there a lot, you know, in the field, welcoming new accounts, hiring new new faces, um, onboarding people, um, and really getting to see a lot of the venues that I haven't seen before. And it's been great just connecting with those people on, in our organization. Is that something, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and also myself included that are these kind of venue geeks, right? Like every new arena, every new amphitheater, whether you work for it or have any stake in it or just seeing a concert there for the first time, you're looking at all little bells and whistles. You're kind of geeking out. I'm assuming you're the same way. Uh, Is that really fun? I mean, I'm sure the travel can be exhausting, but it's also got to be exciting to like constantly be seeing new building, new spaces kind of working within whatever their toolkit is, because everything's a little different and sort of, you know, taking some of that knowledge that, oh, I saw this over in this city. I saw this in this city. How can we plug this into this new one that, you know, is around? I mean, you're definitely being exposed to probably more venues than almost anyone else. Yeah. And it is fun because, you know, I go to some legacy venues, you know, that have been around for 50, 60 years that we've renovated, you know, Nassau Coliseum is one that I was a part of when I was at um, BSC Global, which is now in um, the ASM Global family. Um, so going back there and doing uh, two Elton John shows and kind of 
full circle. You know, I worked there in 2006 and then from uh, what, 2015 to 2018. And then again, you know, now it's one of the ones that I, I oversee um, to brand new builds like Techport Center and Arena and, you know, Movie Star Arena and Antel Arena down in South America. Um, so you really kind of get to see hey, how are we taking these amazing like legacy buildings that have so much history from like Elvis walking the hallways and, you know, stuff that you, you can never recreate, right? To these new super technologically advanced venues um, to really cool and unique properties as well. You know, we're not just in the arena and stadium game. We have Cowtown Coliseum in Fort Worth, which was a new project this year. It's a hundred plus year old um, dirt floor rodeo arena. And it's the first ever um, rodeo arena in the country, I believe. So it's been really cool just kind of seeing all the history of the stockyards in Fort Worth. And it's not just like the venue, but kind of the culture around the venues, you know, because as you know, every market is different. So I've kind of get to immerse myself in all these different cultures. And, you know, I'm, I'm from the South one week and I'm from the Northeast one week. And so it is a lot of fun and, you know, finding the right people for the right positions has been great too, because there's a lot of people out there that have either been in the industry or I've always wanted to get into the industry that I've really kind of become a mentor and a friend too. And I think that's kind of the thing that I love most about my job is the people, you know, I mean, Paul, we've known each other sure. for years, um, you know, just yeah. kind of a, the friendships that you build, you know, so I feel like I have a, I can couch surf on any, any city that I want to, you know, just because of the relationship right. that I've, mm-hmm. I've made through, um, through this profession. So, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, working with, you know, from, you know, legacy arenas to uh, uh, dirt floor buildings, right. You, you kind of get to see it all. And, and one of the things we love about this podcast is getting to hear people's, you know, journeys and their, their adventures, but, but what makes, you know, dealing with people, you know, of, all across the all across the globe, venues of all kinds and sizes. What what makes a great marketing uh, arena marketing person? Gosh, I mean, I think somebody just you know you have to have a personality and you have to you just have to be a creative thinker. You know, I mean, obviously we we see our work friends and family like more than we see our regular friends and family. Um, so somebody that just you know they love what they do and they want to continue to learn. I think you know there's. Um, you know, with technology, the way it is today, something changes, you know, every 24 hours sometimes. Right. So um, somebody <laughs> yeah. that just always has their finger on the pulse of the industry um, is always looking for like the next cool thing. Um, somebody that's open to learning and, you know, constructive criticism and feedback, but it's also a team player. I mean, kind of what you were talking about before, like I get to see all this cool stuff, you know, Thursday night, I was across the street at State Farm Stadium at Coldplay, you know, so that's a completely different experience. It's a stadium show. Um, and I know their marketing team really well. And then I went up to Oakland on Friday to the Pearl Jam show. And, you know, they have this amazing back of house experience and artist experience and um, just, you know, the rich history in that building. And then I came back to my building on Saturday and we had an Eric Church show. So all, you know, three large concerts with three major headliners, um, but very different personalities doing the marketing at the buildings, um, but all doing a tremendous job. So it's really somebody that's kind of immersed in the local culture and can really kind of bring that experience, you know, not only just to public facing and selling tickets and developing those relationships with your media and your promoters, um, but also kind of can get that cultural flair into what they do for that artist and fan experience at the venue, you know, because you yeah. know, it's not just, you know, selling the tickets to the fans. It's also, Hey, why are people going to continue to come back to our venue and what are we doing that's special and different and how are we creating that Arizona, California, Texas, whatever it is experience for the artists so that they're not like, where am I tonight? Right. Right. 
Yeah, I, I think that's uh, an interesting point in that, you know, there is, of course, things that are consistent maybe across uh, the ideal marketer. But I think we all know so many different building marketers that they're all different and their teams are different and they really should be. And so sometimes it's almost like whatever makes a better fit for that market or for that team more so than, you know, this is the ideal marketer. Cause you might get the best marketer from New York city and you put them in, you know, small town America and they have no right. idea what they're doing because they just don't, they don't know that, or vice versa, you know? So I think you make a good point in that, you know, as much as you do need to have a very expansive toolkit and you need to be, you know, constantly trying to innovate and, you know, be open to criticism and, you know, constantly looking for that next thing. You also have to find the right person for the right place. Mm -hmm. Kate, when you, you know, when you are uh, home, uh, where, where's home for you these days? Um, home is in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, but I do, I'm from the East coast. I grew up in um, Western Massachusetts, spent a majority of my adult life quote unquote adult um, <laughs> right in, <laughs> in New York city. Um, so I do own a, a farm. A lot of people do know that some people don't, but I, I own a farm right. in upstate New York. Um, and I love to spend a lot of my time there. So yeah, a farm really. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, uh, how do you manage that with being uh, in uh, you know, Arizona sometimes in the farm back home, you've got to have some, some other folks helping you out too, right? I do. I have a property manager. Um, I bought, um, it was a huge old dairy farm. Um, I bought the apple orchard, the pear orchard and um, the old farmhouse. So it is definitely a work in progress. Chip and Joanna make it look a lot. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's a labor of love and it was um, a project that I, I purchased in 2016 when I was living and working in New York city. Um, and, you know, obviously with the pandemic and everything, things have slowed down there, but uh, it is, you know, it's a retirement dream. Um, so it's just kind of sure. there right now, but uh, it's a beautiful escape for, you know, when I need to get away and uh, my family's still there. So it's, it's nice to be able to get home and see them. You can follow your adventures, right? On, on Instagram. What is it? Is it, I bought a farm, right? Yeah. My, yeah, my, uh, my farm website is, uh, or my farm instance, I bought, I bought a farm. I don't know how that handle was still available, but um, not much <laughs> happening on there right now with the prices of gas and flights. Um, but I, I hope to get back there a couple of times this year. I do find it really fascinating. Uh, and you, you sort of talked about it, but you seem to, uh, not in a negative way, but you seem to kind of live in the extremes then, right? You're kind of like city hopping, these big major markets, big things. And then it's like, when you need to disconnect, you're you're really disconnecting. You're going to the farm in upstate New York on an orchard with cows. Like it's, it's like, once you hit that breaking point, you're like, okay, I'm pulling all of the cords out of the wall and we're literally going to yeah, go. I mean, luckily I do have internet there, so I don't get to completely disconnect. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the kind of person that, you know, I go, go, go like 110 miles an hour, but I need to be able to turn it off. So like if, if there's a Saturday or Sunday, I don't have an event. I'm, you know, I'm hiking seven to 10 miles in the woods. I'm taking vacation next week and I'm going to Alaska because there's no cell service. Right. It's like, you're right. you're right. I'm very like, Hey, put me in the middle of Manhattan and I'm in my element, but at the same time, turn around and put me in the middle of the woods with like nothing but a compass and a bag of granola and I'm in heaven, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You got you know the the cows and the the pigs the whole deal right this is not just like a little like a little nature like playing with a porch you you you're really doing it well the cows and the pigs are owned by um, the person that bought the property across the street so I get all the benefits of having the animals uh, and okay all right experience them but I don't have to pay for them or care for them 
so yeah, so I can kind of get the best of both worlds, but they're those guys, they actually take care of my house. Um, when I'm not there, um, and they look over it for me and, you know, mow the lawn and everything else. So it's nice to, it's, it's a nice little community. And I'm actually close enough to our venue in Albany that if I do go home, um, I've spent some time at the Albany venue with that team. Um, it's about like 35, 40 minutes away. So, so I'm not that far out, um, and disconnected. Let's talk a little bit about your team there in, in Arizona. So, so talk to us about your, your role there at the uh, Gila River Arena. Am I saying that right? Yes. Um, yeah, sure. Here, I'm the assistant general manager. Um, I oversee the box office um, and the marketing team. You know, our venue is very small um, in terms of a team because, you know, we had the NHL team here for a long time. They actually just finished their last season here. So we're, we're expanding our team. But uh, I have a very small marketing department of two right now i do have an open role if anybody listening um is looking for a director level marketing position and would love to come live in arizona i, I highly recommend it but yeah so i oversee them you know i know various buildings have different size departments but here you know our team wears a lot of different hats um you know you're you're the publicist you're the yep. webmaster the social media person um, working with booking and artist gifting um and my box office team is great um our box office manager came from Ticketmaster, um so he's been a, a blessing to have um and then we just hired a, an assistant box office manager right after the pandemic and they're great because i mean one thing with our venues is um, we're not quote unquote open ticketing, but we do have two ticketing systems in place. We have Ticketmaster in place for Live Nation shows, and then we have access ticketing in place for um, AEG shows. So, do you think that's confusing to the consumer? Or how do you how do you guys how do you guys manage that? Because I mean, a lot of people have flirted with that idea. Or is it just like you hit the buy tickets button? It doesn't really matter on their side, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're working through it. I think it hasn't necessarily hurt ticket sales at all, but it is, it's kind of educating that consumer and working yeah. with the promoters to say, Hey, you know, it really makes sense to put either the Ticketmaster or the access ticketing logo on your ad mat. So people know where to find it because you know, how many times you're like, Oh, XYZ is coming to my venue. Let me call Paul and see if he wants to go. Right. So right. if I call Paul and he's like, yeah, let's go. And then I go to one ticketing platform versus the next and I can't find it. Then it's like, Hmm, where did I see that again? Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully they right. are going back to our websites. Um, we do a lot of programmatic and, you know, digital retargeting and social. Sure. So hopefully we'll be able to follow, to follow them, but um, it's just been kind of great for the promoters and, but it, it, it's definitely had some challenges, but we're working through it. You know, it's still pretty new as our venues are coming back online. But, you know, each system definitely has, you know, their different nuances. So uh, yeah. everybody's still learning. Is it is it tricky? Because I think it would be it would be for me. <laughs> That's why I ask. Is it tricky to kind of, you know, show that support to the home building while you've also got your focus in, you know, 100 other places? Yes and no. You know, I mean, I think because I sit here and I'm here every day, you know, and we, I've actually been here through the pandemic because we were one of the four buildings that had an NHL team that was playing home games with fan and during the pandemic. So when ASM global was formed, you know, I mean, I've always been the, the RVP, even when I was the AEG, but you know, everything was so venue focused and, um, you know, then communicating to the team in the field, I was doing it all from here. So I haven't kind of had that separation. There are sometimes, you know, like when I am on the road, you know, opening tech port for the month of, you know, April, I wasn't here a lot, but, you know, I'm always calling in, I'm, you know, constantly talking to the staff and, and the GM, um, but they're very supportive of what I'm doing because a lot of the things that we get to do as a company, you know, our venue gets to be a test case for, you know, <laughs> good, bad, or indifferent. Sure. Um, so we get a lot of opportunities that some other buildings 
you know, might have to wait on because we're kind of do, being that case study. So, you know, there's definitely yeah. pros and cons. I mean, there are some times that I definitely feel like, you know, I'm spread thin and I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I, I think we all do, you know, we're, we're type A individuals. Yep. Um, but sometimes I feel like I'm doing a disservice to one or the other because maybe, you know, one day the venue is asking a lot of me. So maybe I'm not able to get back to somebody on the corporate side as quickly as I would like to, and then vice versa. Sure. Um, but that's just kind of a struggle that I have. But, you know, Alex Merchant is our EVP of marketing on the corporate side. And he and I have a great relationship. And, you know, I can talk to him about that kind of stuff saying, hey, you know, what is the priority for this week? Because, you know, I don't have a marketing director right now and I really need to support because we have three or four shows on sale. And then, you know, on the flip side, Dale Adams, our GM here, you know, he's very supportive of my corporate position um, and, you know, very flexible with me. And, you know, we have a great relationship and I check in with him all the time and say, hey, are you OK with me doing this? Like, I need to be here. I need to be there. And luckily it hasn't been an issue. And balls have not been dropped, but you know, <laughs> we're getting we're getting real busy again. So um, no, I mean it's, it's good. It's been a real challenge for me, but an exciting challenge. Been able to you know be involved in a lot of high level projects, which is great. One of the projects that you're involved with that I wanted to ask you about was you know your your position as a board member with with rivals. You know, kind of talk about you know Pulse on on you know what's happening next, right? So talk to me a little bit about that, and because rivals, what uh, some gamification kind of fun. Yeah, so um, actually a good friend of mine from college lives out here in um, Scottsdale and he was a hockey player and I ran into him and his wife at um, a hockey game here at the arena and we kind of reconnected and he's working for a company um, called Rivals Media and they really gamify the live event experience. So um, they've asked me to come on as an advisor and just kind of give them some insights to the sports and entertainment world. So what we've been able to do is work with athletes and coaches, um, a lot of stuff on the NFL side where you can play along with a with a football game. You know, we did it with Bruce Arians and the Bruce Arians Foundation um, with Tampa Bay, actually the year that they won the Super Bowl, I think two years ago um, when Tom joined the team. And it was, it's a lot of fun because, you know, you can be sitting at your house and you're playing along for charity. So it's like, hey, who's going to win the coin toss? You know, who's going to, are they going to make X amount of points in the first quarter? You know, kind of like you would do with the Bet MGM, but a lot of it goes back to charity. So it's all going to the Bruce Arians Foundation or that sort of thing. Now they're trying to branch out. They're doing some stuff with some TV shows. Um, they're looking to do some stuff with concerts and festivals. And, and, you know, I'm kind of making this up. Some of the conversations we've had have been like, hey, you know, what are the first three songs of X going to be? Is it going to be, you know, A, B, or C? Or how many outfit changes is so-and-so going to have? So they're really trying to figure out how they can kind of get more ingrained in what some of the artists are doing, you know, because we've all been asked to do something like, hey, can we do a food drive? Or can we add a dollar right. to get for the X foundation? Or can we round up for charity? And this is kind of gamifying it so that everybody that's at the venue um, and at the concert can play along. For the sports, it's more like, hey, doing it from home, you know, watching because everybody has a second screen, right? When you're watching a game on your couch. Um, but for the concert standpoint, they're trying to do it like from inside the venue and say, hey, you know, prizeification and hey, you can get a meet and greet or you can get a signed XYZ um, or hey, spend an extra $20 here and, you know, be automatically entered to win the X. So um, they're really kind of still figuring it out on the live event side, but they've really gotten a lot of the sports um, pretty wrapped up. So it's Rivals Media, if anybody is interested, and um, a lot of football coming this this summer and fall. Interesting. Well, and I think 
maybe you could speak to sports too. I do feel like you're a huge sports fan, yep. right? And I don't, I'm trying to remember your, your home teams or who you root for, but it does feel like as much as you're at, uh, you know, different concerts and stuff, you're also, you know, at all different types of sporting games as well. Is that something that you've loved that you've fallen in love with since being in the industry? Have you always loved it since you were a kid? Yeah, I actually, um, you know, I was an athlete being six one, you kind of have to be, you know, at least a basketball player. Right. But um, I started my career in sports. A lot of people don't know that um, I started on the team side working for um, AHL and then NHL hockey teams. I actually learned the venue side because I was down with the Florida Panthers in 0304. And it was one of the first teams that was really the team and the venue were one. So while I was still doing the team marketing, I also learned how to do the family show and the concert marketing. And that's kind of where I pivoted a little bit into the, the venue side. And then like, you know, from there I, I went home, there was an NHL lockout. So I took a new job um, opening a venue up home in Massachusetts. And that was really like book. I was a booker and a venue marketer. And then from there, you know, I went to Nassau Coliseum and I was doing marketing and event man. Well, no, I was an event manager, which I have so much respect for event managers because I cannot be <laughs> at the venue at three or 4 a.m. meeting the trucks and working 48 hour shifts. So event managers, thank you so much. Like I empathize with you, you know, but yeah, so I've, um, I've kind of seen both sides of the industry. And that's one of the things that I really love about my job. You know, it's like, even though I'm on the venue side, most of my venues have been NBA or NHL um, arenas, you know, up in Oakland, I was fortunate enough to be there when the Warriors won their first championship in 2015. You know, I also now have the relationship with the Raiders because we were A's Raiders and Warriors. Um, Chris Wright has had me involved in a lot of the stuff with the Legion Stadium through my current role. So I've, you know, kind of got to see from the the historic venue in Oakland to the brand new shiny Allegiant Stadium. We've got to spend a lot of time there. So yeah, it's it's very interesting and in kind of the parallel paths that we run. And then, you know, before I came back to ASM Global with, with BSE Global in Brooklyn, um, you know, we had the Nets and the Islanders at the time. And we had, you know, one and a half venues. I think I opened two venues there in the three years that I was there. Um, so getting to do a lot of the cross promotions with the team, um, I did all the sweet and premium and, and food and beverage marketing for BSC Global in addition to the concert marketing. And then I also oversaw all of our sports marketing that wasn't team related. So boxing, college basketball, UFC, um, all the non-traditional, like not just not the NBA stuff. So um, I've still yeah. been able to keep my hand and stuff. So yeah, I guess I've been busy, but I love it. You know, I love <laughs> like that's the best thing about our our jobs, right? You're you're never gonna have the same day twice. You know, we're not right. sitting there doing a mundane task over and over and over. Um, there are some things, you know, our reports and whatever we're doing every day, but like you never know, like Mick Jagger walking down the hall and gonna say, Oh, hello, you know, as you pass by, or you know, back in the day with the circus, you know, you just have an elephant like walk by yep. you back in the house or something, right? Like, like right. you never know what's gonna happen. Um, and I think that's like one of my favorite parts of the job. Definitely. I love, I love the, I love the uh, uncertainty and the, the absurdity that sometimes uh, uh, this business brings. Yeah. I mean, we all, I, we have plenty of stories we can't tell on this podcast, but you know, we all have those moments. <laughs> like, I mean, what you can tell them. Be? You know, did, did that really just happen? So, right, so exactly. Kate, you were, you were back, you know, uh, you, we talked about college a little bit, you know, so you were at University of Massachusetts Amherst, right? Correct. Uh, get your, your bachelor of science in sports management. What did, what did you think when you were in college? What, what did you think you wanted to do? Oh, I was going to work for Nike like everybody else, you know, and I was almost like kind of going to be an agent and I was going to negotiate contracts for athletes and do all this cool, like sponsorship marketing stuff. And 
you know, then I got an internship interning for the, they were the Springfield Falcons at the time. And, you know, I really kind of owe my entire career to Bruce Landon, the former um, president of the Springfield Falcons, because I was an intern there for, I think, two seasons. And then when I graduated from college, I was um, doing PR for Six Flags New England. It was, it had just switched from a mom and pop Riverside Park to a major theme park. And I kind of oversaw the PR for that as a, what, 22-year-old kid. I have no idea what I was doing in that role. Um, but then... <laughs> Um, the New York Islanders were starting a farm team, um, the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, and they, you know, called Bruce Landon to see if they knew anybody. And Bruce recommended me for my internships. Um, and without that phone call, I have no idea where I'd be, you know. Um, and I mean, every single, almost every single position I've ever had has really been a reference from somebody that I've worked for in the past. And I think that's something that's really important for people that are starting out in this industry. It's just kind of those relationships are so important. It's like, even if you, even if you want to be the chief marketing officer for X organization, take the job as the concessionaire or the ticket seller, or, you know, get your foot in the door um, because you never know what those relationships are going to do for you down the road. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, know that that's very true firsthand. And sometimes it's the it's the and I don't want to say flailing around, but sometimes it's figuring out your own way, whether it's at Six Flags or with the 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 Bridgeport Sound Tigers. Right. Because when you're working for a, sometimes an organization that may not know everything. Right. You get your hands into so much more and you learn so many different aspects of the business that are going to help you in that next job down the road. Exactly. I mean, I took a break from the industry. I left. um Gosh, I left Nassau Coliseum and I was hired by actually one of our clients um, to be their national marketing manager. And that's where I learned a lot about retail and developing websites and white label and brick and mortar stores. And, you know, and that's kind of helped me in terms of like, hey, we have merchandise and we have, you know, X, Y, Z that we need to do in pop-up shops. And then I left there and I went to a hotel, you know, and in the hotel, Roosevelt? I really... I was at the Roosevelt Hotel in New York City and I loved that job. Um, and I did like catering and event sales and marketing and PR and food and beverage. So, you know, now kind of when right now, because our team is leaving, um, we have a lot of open dates, right? So we're really focusing on private event sales. And so I have a background in that, you know, in a kind of weird <laughs> roundabout way. I'm um, in the food sure. and beverage experience that kind of helps me in terms of helping set up a catering and private events program at our venue and other venues. So um, it's interesting the, the path that I have taken to get here, but you know, it kind of all makes sense when you look back and connect those dots. Yeah. And I think to your point, taking that step outside the industry is really interesting because no matter which way you go on your path, you never know when you're going to like be able to go back in that filing cabinet in your head and grab that folder and dust it off and be like, okay, so this stuff I learned at the Roosevelt, I thought I maybe was never going to reference again, but now I'm going to apply it. And, you know, had you not had that experience and kind of, you know, explored other industries, you know, you might not be set up for that. So I do think, you know, sometimes people are very hyper-focused on uh, progressing within a very uh, narrow lane of, you know, I want to become a specialist coordinator, manager, director, VP or whatever, but within a very, you know, narrow marketing lane or whether it's at a certain venue or something. And I think it is kind of to your benefit to kind of diversify your job if you have the opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, I honestly, like when I left, um, when I left the industry, I was just, I was burnt out. You know, I had started my internships at the age of 17 in college. Right. And 
I missed every night, weekend, holiday, bachelorette party, wedding, like so many things for my friends, like that were, you know, in your early twenties that everybody's experiencing. And cause I was always working and I loved it, but I, I was just burnt out, but taking, I think I was probably out of the industry for like five years. It really just made me like, I missed being, you know, Kate from the X or, you know, like as lame as that sounds, but I really missed, you know, everything about the industry. And I was lucky enough that um, the general manager that I worked for at Nassau Coliseum, he used to work in Oakland and they were looking for a marketer. So again, somebody recommended me for the position. I actually turned down the job the first time because it wasn't the right fit. And then they came back a month later and said, Hey, we'd really like you to come out here. And the rest is history, you know? So um, it's, it's been an interesting ride, but I, I also like I want to encourage people also like, don't be afraid to like make the move. Don't be afraid to go to a new market. You know, if you don't know anybody, like you can, if you have the opportunity, right. A lot of us have, have families and we can't just pick up and leave. But um, if there's young people on this, um, like listening, I definitely encourage you to just, you know, just try it. You can always go home, you know, but right. I mean, I, I knew nothing about Arizona when I, when I accepted this role, I just knew that there was um, two opportunities. One was in a very cold market. One was in a very warm market. I'm a very warm market. (laughs) Let's try it. Let's see what happens. Um, And it's worked out really well for me. So I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to be one of those people that can pick up and kind of go um, if somebody dangles, you know, the carrot in front of me. But it's just been my choice as to how I've wanted to do my career and experience new places. But uh, if you have at least one opportunity to do it, I, I would highly recommend it to people. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly people lock down into one place and, and that's just where they are for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always tell my my interns, I'm like, go get out there, man. Go out there and 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 you know take those take those risks. That's a, that's a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. So Kate, you've mentioned a couple of times you've, we've touched on the pandemic a little bit, uh, but it's always, you know, it's a it's it was a big transition at time for so many of our listeners and uh, so maybe everybody really. So talk to us a little bit about what you were doing, you know, uh, heading into the pandemic and then for, for the, uh, the dark times. <laughs> sure. I mean, again, ASM Global had just kind of, you know, been created that October of 2019. And we were just trying to figure out who we were as an organization. You know, um, there were some regionals from the SMG side of the business um, and myself and, and Rosie Sell, who I believe you guys know um, from the AEG side. And we were just kind of figuring out, you know, how to mesh everything together. And then we really kind of started getting the group together as a whole, doing calls. And then, you know, March 15th or, or 13th or 15th hits and, you know, it was just kind of pivot and let's figure out what we're doing. Um, and we really use that time to understand kind of the organization, right? How are our venues set up? What does a marketing department look like in a, you know, A market, B market, C market, you know, like how is the convention center division set up differently than the arena stadium theater division? Um, what people are in what positions, what tools do they have available to them? Who is their website provide? You know, kind of like where are the synergies within the company and really kind of trying to figure out um, okay, what does it look like to be an ASM global marketer and kind of developing that toolkit, you know, based on the kind of benchmarking where folks were at and leveling that playing field. So we also did a lot of, um, you know, we were in constant communication with the field, always doing, you know, monthly or weekly or biweekly calls, depending on kind of the state of the pandemic. When we were a very thin team, you know, a lot of our venues lost their marketing departments. We were doing weekly calls just so that everybody kind of felt connected and, and knew that they weren't alone. 
Uh, we were developing social media calendars and content for folks because there were a lot of GMs that were left kind of holding the bag and didn't really know how to activate their social media or, or what to post or how to post. So we were creating all this content for them and pushing it out so that they could use it for you know a lot of the low hanging fruit, right? Hey, today's Prince's birthday or, you know, right. National Margarita Day. You still might have a liquor partner that you have to show some love to, you know, let's, you know, here's some ways that you can do it. That's not really tied to an event because you don't have any events. Um, and then getting a lot of um, subject matter experts in to do some training. You know, we did Google Analytics training for the field. We did a lot of social media best practices with the field, PR, sponsorship and premium seating, you know, and just kind of having everybody come in and use it as a time of like learning and growth for the folks that were still there. We also worked to um, announce our Venue Shield program, which was our, you know, proprietary hygienic program for um, our venues for when people were returning to live events and getting people, you know, making sure that we had the right cleaning and safety and COVID protocols in place across all of our venue types. So we were rolling that out as an organization as well. So at a corporate level, um, you know, it was developed at, at the high level. And then my role was to really push it out to the venues, make sure that they had graphics, make sure that they had content for the web, make sure that they had the press release um, and that everybody, the, that flow of information um, was pretty seamless. I think a lot of venues, hopefully, or companies in all industries, really, uh, hopefully took advantage of the opportunity to kind of hit the reset button or self-assess a bit, you know, kind of soul search. Because uh, so many times you're just in the run and gun and you're like, yeah, you know, we, we would really love to approach this differently, but we're so far in the trenches right now. Like, we've got to worry about the thing that's tomorrow night, not how we're going right. to invent ourselves, right? And so... And so I think you probably saw that on a much grander scale uh, because it was with so many venues and just the timing of it being right after that merger that it was, you know, probably the downside was that it was like, oh my gosh, you know, you, you're seeing these fires burning all over the country instead of just in one little city. But also hopefully it provided the opportunity to be like, okay, we really get to decide what we want to be. And as a as a company as a whole, and what service we want to provide to these venues, and how we can really sort of rebuild the ship from the bottom up, and you know how do you take advantage of that? So exactly. I, I think, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a unique opportunity, and I do feel like people that maybe are going back to business as usual and exactly how it was before maybe missed the boat on that, you know, uh, because you know they really should have not only sort of assessed of how, how do we, how do we change? How, how are we better? But also, you know, this is, you're afforded this unique, weird opportunity that no one wanted, but you should be able to take advantage of it. Right. And at the same time, I mean, it wasn't just like us, you know, talking to the venues and putting information, like just spewing it at them. Right. We also took the opportunity to learn from our venue marketers, right? What do you need from us at a corporate level? You know, I feel like a lot right. of times there's a lot of like, here's who we are as a company and we're going to give this to you, right? But if it doesn't work for the field, it's not going to move your business forward. So we really use it as well as a learning opportunity. Like I know most of my venue marketers, whereas before they might've just been an email address, right? Or, you know, and, and it's just, it was just how it was, right? Um, but now it's funny, I've worked with our director of marketing down in New Orleans, like hand in hand every single day throughout this pandemic. And it's crazy to both of us that we've never met in person. 
right? Yeah. Because like, I feel like this person is like a day to day, like a member of my family. So it's been great to a have those relationships with our marketers in the field, but also learn from them. Like, what do they need from us from a corporate support? How can we make their jobs easier? How can we help them work smarter, not harder, right? More efficient. What tools do they need from us? What are the roadblocks that they have either, you know, with their contract administrator or the promoters, like how can they use us to help do their job better and how can we be a better resource for them? Yeah, I think it's so funny too how people sort of before the advent of Zoom, uh, you know, everyone was kind of like, oh, I've got, you know, Zoom fatigue. I'm like so tired of Zoom because it really isn't a substitute for people that you work with in an office. But one of the great things about it is people that you don't work with, you normally would probably do that conference call on the phone. So then now you're like putting a face with them. And it is this kind of funny thing where, you know, you are like much more personally connected with someone than you ever would have been. And, you know, even on the conference side and all kinds of, you know, there's people that I was so busy with the conference, you know, I might have like a catch up with someone every so often or do kind of like a whatever group chat or something. But then we would like see each other at various conferences and we found ourselves like doing regular monthly like house party things or something. And it's like they're, they're as much as it maybe hurt the closer kind of like very sort of central whatever building relationship because it didn't really substitute that it probably expanded all those ones that are a lot further out you know family that's across the country people that you're working with in buildings across the country that now you're seeing their face you're feeling a lot more connected to them yeah it personalized our jobs in our industry right because again like we all get those emails we're just like firing firing them back right or like right. <laughs> now like you know these people right and, and I mean, again it's just kind of the nature of the beast like we're all just trying to like get so much stuff out right and you're, so you're just kind of firing stuff away but this like you had to slow down you had to like talk to people you had to like understand them get you got to know them a little bit right there's a lot of small talk now at the beginning whereas before it's like hey what is it, your roi on this or how are you measuring up right. against your KPIs? or i don't have time to talk like just get this out the door um and now it's just kind of like oh hey how's it going how are you like so it's been nice you know yes there is still a little bit of zoom fatigue but um i mean i don't know the last time i've had a conference call not on video right right Maybe, like, yeah. yeah um you know, I, I a lot of people might disagree with me, but I, I kind of like it. No, I'm with you because I, I I do think that there is that it, it just creates that a much more personal connection with people, which I think is is as as we've talked about throughout today's podcast. You know, a key to success in so many ways. Kate, as we as we kind of wrap things up and and look towards the future, what what excites you about the the future of this industry or in and the future of you know arena marketing? Oh, gosh. I mean, I just think there's so many things that we as an industry haven't even tapped into, right? That just from a technology standpoint, um, live streaming of shows, artist experience, just a little bit of every. I mean, there's so many shows out there right now. Like, that's it's crazy. Um, but I also think like <laughs> <laughs> and I know all of our marketers are like, yeah, you say that again for the people in the back. But um, I just think that there's just so many opportunities for just advancements in like the guest experience. I think that we're going to see a lot more kind of um, broadcast live stream um, artist engagement with fans in different ways. You know, I don't know. Some people are starting to bring back the meet and greets and that sort of thing, but I think that they're going to figure out kind of a new style. It's not just going to be like, Hey, let's wait in line. It's going to be more interactive. Um, we just had a AJR here uh, last week and they, they played dodgeball at the meet and greet. 
So you actually, that's the meet and greet, right? As you get to go play dodgeball with the band. Right. Um, You know, and it's really about experiential marketing now, right? It's not just, hey, come and and buy a ticket, grab a $27 beer and (laughs) watch a concert. It's like, what is that experience, right? Because there's so much going on in every one of these markets where there's a building. Um, We're still competing against the TV and somebody's couch or, you know, what's happening at the local bar. So figuring out what those experiences are going to be. They're going to keep the fans coming to our venues. Um, and just kind of, I'm also very excited just about like the caliber of the venues that are being built around the world right now. You know, like there are some amazing, amazing facilities. Spaceships. That are, yeah. That are being built <laughs> and opening um, and not just arenas and stadiums, but the convention centers, the theaters, like they're like the entertainment districts, you know, it's just kind of, it's really, we're not just a concert venue anymore. You know, we're, we're an experience. And I think like, that's probably what excites me the most is kind of being a part of this. You know, we've all kind of been on this wave, this technology wave as an industry. You know, I think we were still buying, I was still buying advertising by the column inch when I first started in the industry. Right. And it's like, Hey, look at me now. I know how to place a pixel. Right. It's just like, we just come like such a long way. And I'm just really excited to kind of see what that, that customer journey and that fan experience looks like in the next like five to 10 years. Now for our, uh, our podcast listeners, they don't get to see the fact that you've got this great coffee mug that says, uh, <laughs> I love my dog. I do, so tell, yeah. us, tell us about the dog. I'm a, I'm a dog mom. I have three dogs. I have Norman Nash and Nelly. I'm, I'm a rescue parents. Um, I highly believe in rescue and encourage people to rescue uh, pups, but yeah, they're, they're my life. Um, they have a good life. I work hard so they can have a good life, but uh, what kind of dogs? Um, they're just little like Chihuahua Terrier rescues, you know, little mutts, but um, they keep me grounded. So <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, it's, it's all about finding that, finding that balance and, uh, and, and not letting yourself get burned out. Exactly. Before we let you go, I want to hit you with our fast five. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your, your instant response. First up, what was your very first concert? My first concert with my parents was the Beach Boys at Tanglewood in the Berkshires. My first concert by myself, I was really cool. And I got to see Vanilla Ice with my friends in middle school. <laughs> oh. How about your favorite? How about your favorite concert? Oh, God, I have too many to name. Right? Um, too many. I, I, I can't have one. <laughs> How about a venue bucket list? Is there a venue you haven't been to yet that you'd love to go see a show at? Um, I still haven't been to Red Rocks. Ah, me too. I'm on that. It's on my list. <laughs> and the uh, what's, what's your pet peeve? What's your biggest pet peeve? Mean people. Mean people suck. Yeah, it doesn't cost anything to be nice, you know? Last question. What is your theme song? So there's a TV show all about you. The cameras follow Kate around uh, all throughout your life. What is the theme song that plays over the opening credits to your show? Black Betty by Ram Jam. Very nice. This is always I always so I know you guys know my buddy Cochet. I was told him, man, if I was gonna be a WWE superstar, my name would be Black Betty. My entry song would be Black Betty. <laughs> like it's just my vibe, you know. It's just like it just it just gets me going. That's awesome. Hey Kate, <laughs> if somebody wants to reach out or follow you, I know we mentioned the Insta handle, but uh you want to plug uh plug any uh any social stuff or any any venues that kind of fun. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm probably the most active. Um, 
And then, I mean, if you want to shoot me an email, it's just my first initial and last name at asmglobal.com. So K-G-I-R-O-T-T-I at asmglobal.com. And, you know, I, I love to mentor young people. I, I'm part of a lot of mentorship groups. I'm a member of, you know, women's sports and, and events here in Arizona. So um, I'm, I'm always about, you know, helping people, answering questions um, and providing guidance wherever I can. Um, I think it's important because our industry is so small um you know to always help people get to where they want to go so please don't hesitate to reach out i'd love to uh you know talk to as many people as possible and hopefully you guys will be at eamc um yeah, you're gonna be, be on here. a panel right i am i'm on a panel i believe it is on thursday morning um i'm back to basics kind of revisiting the basics of marketing very cool. I definitely look forward to seeing you there in person and and not on the on the Zoom. Uh, but I uh, appreciate you taking the time for us today. I know it's a very busy schedule, but uh, uh, it's, it's a great adventure there that's that's unlike any other. So truly, truly appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I look forward to seeing you guys in June. And a, and a big thanks to everybody for listening to today's episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.